right. Hey, guys. Okay, so I am here kind of for two roles tonight. One, I want to share with you guys about an Athletes in Action project that has a really big place in my heart. So just a little bit about me. Um, UNC athlete from 2005 to 2009. Um, I was a rower here at UNC. I became a believer actually through Athletes in Action my junior year of college um, because of a teammate that pursued me for a couple of years um, and finally got me to come to AIA. Um, became a believer junior year and went to Urban Project that summer. And so that summer, the Lord used, we call it UPLA, Urban Project LA is like a mouthful. So the Lord used UPLA to really like transform my heart for him, bring me into community for the first time, um, and really impacted the trajectory of my life. Um, I ended up graduating from UNC, moving to LA, going on staff with Athletes in Action at UCLA and USC as their Women's Discipleship Coordinator, and also working with homeless youth um, in the inner city, which is what I had been doing during Urban Project. So I love Urban Project. Um, I'm going to show you guys a video and then kind of tell you a little bit more what the like structure of Urban Project looks like so that when you go this summer, you know exactly what to expect. Okay. All right. So Urban Project is three weeks in downtown LA, situated kind of the hub is at USC, so University of Southern California. Students come from across the country and you actually live on their frat row. They rent out a frat from one of the frats. So it's like, it's very weird dichotomy of like flip and slide parties and like prayer nights. Um, but it's very cool because you get to be kind of in the city. You get um, for these three weeks, the first week is essentially like um, ultimate training camp. So you do all the like AIA principles. You have the special at the end. Um, kind of very similar to Ultimate Training Camp, except for every afternoon for the three weeks, you're assigned a ministry site. So Athletes in Action um, Urban Project has partnerships at five ministry sites throughout the city of LA, all in like government housing um, communities. So it's a really incredible way to, um, as, you're, as an athlete, kind of use your platform as an athlete to serve um, in the community. So the heart of Urban Project is to essentially teach us God's heart for the poor and for reconciliation um, with God here on earth as sinners. And so we kind of take the principles of called the three R's, kind of how Jesus um, came to us, gave himself to us in order to heal us. That is like kind of the, the model of um, ministry that Urban Project teaches. So if you're interested, I would love to answer any more questions. Um, and yeah help facilitate you guys getting there um it's really a special place in my heart um my husband actually had to attend urban project before we got married in order to like understand and know me um so and i actually met him when i moved to la um so very cool summer opportunity all right i'm gonna shift us now to talk time um acknowledging that tonight is valentine's day i don't know where you stand on valentine's day on the spectrum of like Hallmark movie marathon to like capitalist corporate conspiracy of like the chocolate delegation. Um, but I love candy and chocolate and holidays. So I'm going to hand out candy for everyone. Y'all oh, pass it around. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. Got it. 
All right, so like I shared earlier, my name is Eugenia Wittick. I was born in Argentina, came to the United States when I was in kindergarten, um, immigrated to the States um, with my two amazing parents, um, grew up here in North Carolina in Winston-Salem. Um, I married to this hottie over here. Um, we have um, three daughters, um, all in elementary school, the same ages as um, Bailey and Brooks. Um, tonight, I kind of want to share with you a little bit of my past, a little bit of what the Lord is teaching me still, kind of in the in this in the present, and how this is impacting my future. Um, I want to break down some truths that Jesus equips us to fight shame. So I said overcoming guilt as kind of the title of the talk tonight, because guilt is a word that we're kind of more comfortable with. Guilt. I feel bad about something, um, but shame is actually what comes after guilt. I did something that I feel bad about and therefore I am bad. So shame is when guilt becomes identity. Okay. My current day job when I'm not, you know, doing the speaking circuit um, is I'm a school counselor. And so I actually get to um, connect often with students and the way that they think about themselves impacts the way that they engage their academics, engage their relationships, engage not at school necessarily but jesus because we impose on christ the way that we think about ourselves because we often think that he thinks about us the way that we think about ourselves um and so um what i want to do tonight is kind of break down essentially deciphering the voice of the father versus the voice of the enemy because the the voice of the father is not one of shame it's one of freedom. So we're going to talk about that. But I'm going to share a little bit of kind of my story with that. Um, so born in Argentina, raised in North Carolina. Um, I was, grew up in a kind of half Catholic, half atheist home. Um, faith was not our solid rock, but we went to church. It's kind of a moral guiding principle in my life. I'm really thankful to my parents for the way that they loved me, brought me up, essentially giving me access to the Bible and knowledge of Jesus, but maybe also giving me opportunity to explore faith um, and ultimately come to the faith that I have now um, here in college. Um, in high school, I was a competitive soccer player, um, did well academically, um, was either going into or coming out of a relationship pretty much at all times. So that was, it's also kind of part of my testimony and what the Lord used to redeem me. Um, but living a life of comparison. I was kind of the good kid, you know, ish, um, compared to my friends. So I often thought, you know, pretty well of myself as defined in comparison to others. Enter freshman year of college. And um, I'm sure you guys can attest that transitioning to college is like so easy. And it was super easy for all of you. And like academics weren't hard at all. And you figured everything out. Unlike you, uh, for me, it was brutal. Um, I somehow thought that I should take bio 101 at 8 a.m. three days a week. And like, that was a terrible idea. Um, I thought like, let me just like double major and just do like a super hard caseload and walk onto a varsity team. Also, don't recommend, maybe take a lower caseload. Um, but freshman year was really rough. And it was a season for me where 
my idols. So idols being those things that gave me value, those things that were essentially what I worshipped or were my God. My idols kind of started crashing down. Um, so I was um, trying to maintain a long-distance relationship. I was trying to make new friends, had walked on to a D1 sport, was double majoring and doing that caseload. Um, and kind of one decision after another here in college, um, always aiming to pursue happiness, left me feeling dirty, left me feeling lonely, left me feeling very um, ashamed. I think ashamed of who I thought I was and kind of who I had become. Like I almost didn't recognize myself. Um, so I hit a very low low by the end of sophomore year. So I'm just gonna fix it. How does the world fix feeling bad? Let's go have fun, right? And so I broke up with my boyfriend, started dating around, frequented Franklin Street, um, and still the idols started coming down. Um, I started struggling more academically. I um, compromised in ways that I never thought I would um, in relationships. I overtrained because I didn't want to, my identity as an athlete to um, fall also, I ended up getting hurt, having to spend like a whole year in a boot and eventually get surgery. Um, so the idols of relationships, feeling attractive, being intelligent, being strong, kind of all came crashing down. Enter one of my teammates. She was so cool. She was like, she dressed cool, she talked cool, she danced cool. She talked like just she was like one of the coolest people that I'd met. She loved Jesus. And she was the first person that I had ever met who made Jesus attractive to me. I'd kind of grown up in like a Bible beating, like I had an impression that like Christians were pretty like closed-minded and kind of all these maybe negative impressions of Christians until I met this friend who loved me really well. She like loved Jesus. She introduced me to Christian rap. She like loved dancing. Her and I would like always have all these dance parties and she loved me regardless of what I share with her about my weekend, regardless of kind of some of my behavior. She never condemned me, but she also never left. And she was just like a solid person in my life that was always inviting me to church. I was like, sounds nice for you, but I'm recovering on Sunday mornings. And so um, have fun. I'll see you at brunch. Um, but for years, she invited me to church. And finally, by the end of sophomore year, as kind of all these things were crashing down, and she seemed to have so much peace and joy and fun, like, I'm going to try that thing. I'm going to try church. So I went with her to the summit, and I actually heard a sermon on the prodigal sons, so both of them. So this is a story in Luke 15 where a father has two sons, and the younger son says, give me my inheritance, and goes to like, live wild. He spends all his inheritance and essentially comes crawling back to the father. The father sees him from a distance and runs to him and brings him back in to the family, bestows to him the honor that he had lost. But when the father does that, the older brother is angry with the father. Like, I've done everything that you asked. You didn't throw a party for me. I've never smeared your name. I've never wished you dead. And yet you give honor to my little brother. And the father says, everything that I have is yours. But my sheep, my son was lost and now he's found. And so it's a picture of how 
Jesus always welcomes us back and is always looking for us to return. Um, but this sermon was the prodigal sons. So I like totally was like wild living son here, get, check. But there was also the son who had everything good on paper, but his heart was far from the father. And I was also that son. And so I felt just really convicted and started going to church with her. And what would you know, that same week that I went to church, an Athletes in Action staff member came to our, our like practice, um, told this team about Athletes in Action and invited anyone that wanted to come. So I was like, me? I would like to come. Um, sign me up for the lunch, the podcast, the, the book, whatever. Like, I, I, I want to know about Jesus because this I'm interested. We went to lunch um, and she asked me, you know, what, what, what compelled you to want to know more about Jesus? She basically got my life story. I cried a lot. She cried a lot. Um, and what she said to me at the end was, Jesus can make your crimson white as snow. And that is something I've never forgotten because that's what I felt. I felt crimson. So I felt, so crimson meaning like red, like scarlet, like dirty. Um, and that began a process for me of being, I didn't realize I was being discipled, but I was being discipled, taught to read the Bible. Um, and so kind of during that time, I started wanting to change, right? Change some of my decisions, change some of the people I was hanging out with. I um, started making adjustments to my life to start renewing my mind and bring him glory. But then the enemy, whose tactics were working very well, freshman and sophomore year, um, switched up his game. So alongside my sin nature, um, he came at me in a different way to steal, kill, and destroy from my life. And um, began this crazy cycle um, of being tempted into sin and then accusing me as soon as I sinned. This is good. This is fun. This is beautiful. This will bring you joy. Who do you think you are calling yourself a Christian? You shouldn't talk about Jesus when you're acting like that. You're never going to get your life straight. If you pray, Jesus is going to be ashamed of you. So it's this cycle of accusation, sin, condemnation, and then pulling myself back out of it. It was painful and brutal, brutal, um, kind of this cycle of not measuring up to expectations. My expectations, someone else's expectations, biblical truths or cultural um, church, you know, recommendations led me to deeply struggle with shame before the Lord. And again, shame is when you make maybe a bad decision, but think that it makes you a bad person. So you see early on in my walk, I hadn't learned the difference between the father's voice and Satan's voice. You think it was easy, right? The Lord's um, voice is accompanied by harps. It sounds like Morgan Freeman. It's like very encouraging. That's what God sounds like, right? And then Satan sounds like my precious from like the Lord of the Rings. So like super easy to decipher, right? Um, but no, like what God offers is so good that Satan's voice sounds like the father with a twist of lie. And so it can often be very hard to decipher. So learning the difference, for me, changed everything. And this is what I want to equip you with tonight. The difference between conviction and condemnation. So let's play out this scenario, okay? You're a new, maybe seasoned, new or seasoned believer. You go out with your friends. You have good intentions to be good. You end up having a little too much to drink, doing things you didn't say you were going to do, 
whatever happened on Super Bowl Sunday, whatever happened last week on Franklin Street. You didn't plan for that to happen, but it happened. And condemnation says, who do you think you are pretending that you're a Christian? You are so weak. Everyone can see right through you. You are misrepresenting Christ. You are making God look bad. You better tone down those prayers because he doesn't want to hear from someone like you. God is disappointed in you. You better not put your hands up when you worship because you're a hypocrite. Ugh. Can you relate to that? Have you heard those words before? This is condemnation. You can sniff out condemnation because it is an identity attack. You are wrong. You are bad. You are not wanted. Condemnation is a hopeless voice, a voice of despair that brings shame and distance from God. But there is hope. Romans 8.1, but there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this voice, this voice of condemnation is not, it's not how the father speaks to you. That is not how your daddy talks to you because your father, he loves you and his voice is conviction. So let's play out the same scenario. Okay. You want to be good. You end up messing up. What does conviction sounds like, sound like? Conviction sounds like, shoot, I knew better. I might need to apologize to somebody. Shoot, that's not what God wanted for me. How can I make sure that doesn't happen next time? Father, forgive me. Come back to the Father. Because only through the power of the Holy Spirit, through those behaviors, through those desires in our heart, do those relationships, does wisdom from the Holy Spirit change our behavior? So acknowledge to yourself and maybe a fellow believer that you've messed up. This is confession. Apologize to the Father and think through what led me to this behavior. How can I prevent this from happening again, right? What barriers can I put up so that I, I don't end up in this situation again? That's repentance. Okay. Invite the Lord in to help you grow because in your flesh, that's a word that we say for like alone without Christ, right? In your flesh, we cannot overcome sin. But as a believer, you have the power that raised Jesus from the dead within you. Okay? So the Holy Spirit, this is how we grow. So conviction says, I know I did something wrong. I have sinned. I want to fix it and grow. Not... I want to be quiet and hide. I am bad. Conviction says I am loved and therefore God has something better for me. So I will pursue that. So this is important because knowing the voice of the father is actually part of our identity um, in Christ. John 10, 27, 28 says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. When they do that, those are my words. When they do that, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them from my hand. And so this is the promise you get when we listen to the Father's voice. Eternal life. No one shall snatch them from my hand. So when you learn to decipher these voices, we can truly hear his voice, right? Maybe not always, but my hope is that when you face the voice, the words of condemnation, we would fight. We would push back and say, that is not how the Father speaks to me. Father, what do you have to say about this? 
friend who loves Jesus, what do you have to say about this? Speak into this because I can't hear past the condemnation, right? Person who is discipling me, who is wise, invite them in to help you hear the voice of the Father. But you know what's funny? Our flesh, so our sin nature, actually rejects this freedom of forgiveness. We label it as a cop-out, right? And instead we say, I don't deserve to be forgiven for what I've done. I don't deserve to pray. I need to punish myself for my sins. And it feels good to punish ourselves for our sins because it gives us control. But it is in fact false humility. Y'all are elite athletes. You know that nothing comes easy. So forgiveness just given, all I have to do is ask for it, just feels too easy sometimes. But Jesus literally came to earth, abandoning his heavenly body so that he could be tortured and die for your sins so that you could reject the cross by giving yourself your own punishments because you are so holy. No, but that's what we're doing, right? When we give ourselves our own punishments or we separate ourselves from God because we don't deserve God because of what we've done, you are rejecting the cross and saying that it wasn't enough for you. It wasn't enough to forgive your sins. So you need to punish yourself until you are satisfied. And then you can accept grace. Then you can accept the cross and become close to Christ again. Friends, be free. It's almost harder to accept grace than to give yourself a punishment because it feels like a cop-out. It feels too easy. It feels wrong to mess up and then say, I'm forgiven, moving on. No, I should punish myself. I should feel bad. That is the voice of Satan. Learn from it. Grow from it. Repent. Stay close to the source. It is unmerited favor that has been earned for you. Just because you don't have to earn it doesn't mean it wasn't worked for. So it was earned for you by the blood of Jesus because the Father loves you. So this is what we're going to do. You guys have index cards underneath your chairs. Go ahead and pull those out. Grab a pen. We're going to do a little thought exercise, okay? On the front of the card, I want you to write down a condemnation that Satan has spoken over you. You can make it as vague or as specific as you want. These will be prayer cards that will actually go to the staff. So just keep that in mind. Write down a condemnation that Satan has spoken over you. Then I want you to turn it over and I want you to turn that into a conviction. So a conviction is what would God say about this? What is the biblical truth? What is the correction? How can I repent from this? Okay, we're going to spend a couple minutes. We're going to play a worship song with lyrics. So this is going to be a time of reflection and prayer. Okay? One side, the condemnation. The other side, the conviction. And use this time to pray through that and hear from what the Lord has to say about this. Staff, if you will join me around the students, we're going to pray over them as they process this. If you all will join me also. That'd be great. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never 
perish. No one will snatch them from my hand because they are mine. You have a protective father who will fight for you if you will let him. So I'm going to pray for us, and that's it for me. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. God, thank you for what you've done in my life. If you had told me in 2007 that I would be teaching at AIA, um, nope, that would not have been something that I would have believed. Father God, the gift, Lord, the wisdom of knowing the difference between condemnation, the voice of the enemy, and conviction, Father God, is a tool of freedom. So Jesus, would you equip the saints in this room with being able to decipher your good and holy and loving and pure voice? God, through that, would you release, release chains of sin? Through that, would you release chains of fear? Through that, would you release chains of guilt and repeated patterns of sin? Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen.